On this episode, you'll hear from writer and creative coach Allie Fallon. She has killer advice for storytellers of all kinds, and her thoughts on New Year's resolutions couldn't be more relevant as we head into February. Welcome to another episode of The Story Podcast. There are things meant for you that are currently beyond your imagination. The only way to become a better storyteller is by telling more stories. Your greatest work may not be seen by millions of people. Keep making anyway. To be a writer, we have to sit down and we have to do the work and we don't get up until it's finished. The only hope we have are the stories we tell. Stories not bound by what is possible. We are proud to be storytellers. Hello, everyone. We are on episode 22. I'm Harris III. I'm here again this week with Kellen Robison. Hey, guys. 22. I know. This is a big deal. I'm impressed with ourselves. Is that okay to say? <laughs> I think it's okay to say. You're pretty humble. It's great. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's interesting about this podcast, when we first started this, we thought, okay, we're, we're going to do everything in our power to grow story into being more than just a two-day conference that takes place once a year. We want to serve the local creative community, not just here in Nashville, but literally around the world. Um, and so there's a couple of ways we started doing that. One is local gatherings, which we're going to talk about here in a second. And two, we started this podcast. And when we first started this podcast, we thought we could probably interview body, somebody at least once a month, maybe yeah. a couple times a month as our schedule permits. And here we are. We've been doing this weekly. Pretty incredible. Every single week now for 22 weeks, we have on time delivered this podcast. Um, and it's been amazing because we've met so many incredible people. Yeah. And thanks to you for tuning in and subscribing. Yes. Thank you. And speaking of meeting awesome people, um, this past week I was in Phoenix doing another event and had a chance to sit down with a member of the story community, reached out to me on Twitter, said, Hey, saw you're coming to Phoenix for a show. Would love to grab lunch or coffee with you. His name's Scott Savage. Scott tweeted me, said, Hey, let's get together. We got together. And one of the things I realized in talking to him, cause he was giving me some amazing feedback about the podcast is that we don't we haven't done a really clear job of telling people how they can send us feedback. Because he's like, hey, last week you talked about how no one ever sends you feedback except for that Christmas episode like we talked about right. last week. Um, but we want to make that really easy for you guys. And so obviously it's very important to leave ratings and reviews on iTunes. I think we mentioned that kind of in passing from time to time. But guys, we really need those ratings and reviews to keep this show going. That is how people find out about the podcast. Um this podcast is kind of slowly growing over time, but a lot of people can discover this very quickly if all of a sudden there's a huge spike in ratings and reviews, and it doesn't take long to go rate the podcast. But second, if you have feedback about the podcast, please send that to us. We gave out Kellen's email address last week, um, so you could send her love stories, which is for next week's episode. Um, but guys, my personal email address is just harris at astoria.com. That's I-S-T-O-R-I-A.com, harris at historia.com. And so you can send me email personally. I will personally read those. You can send Kellen email, Kellen at historia.com. We'll put this stuff to work. We'll do yeah. everything we can to make this podcast. Who do you want to hear from? As good as possible. What do you want to hear less yeah. of? What guests would you like to hear from? How can we do better? We've upgraded our gear. We're talking to fancy new mics. We're getting serious guys. Uh, yeah. And we got a new show intro. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Fancy. Yeah, I know. So it's getting better. So send us your feedback. Um, the other thing I just mentioned was those gatherings. Tell us about local gatherings for those who don't know about those. Yes. So we, again, we wanted to start this movement of storytellers and artists. And when we started talking to everyone here in Nashville, we learned that they just wanted to hang out with each other and meet each other. And, um, so we started doing these local gatherings monthly here in Nashville and they were a huge hit and we had 
um, a good number of people coming out and people were meeting each other. They were selling other. out every single yeah, month, and even then though they, they were free, we were running out of right, seats. Right, And then people started collaborating. We started hearing about, you know, yeah. the things that were coming out of these gatherings. So, um, we are a little too busy to do monthly gatherings now, <laughs> but we are doing them quarterly. So seasonal gatherings. And we had our first one of 2017 in January is our winter gathering. And we had an incredible guest, Allie Fallon, who yep. is a writer, um, coach, and a blogger. And I love her what she does with authors through her coaching. It's amazing. Yeah, she does a lot of different types of coaching. But one of my favorite things that she does, because it seems so magical to me, <laughs> it feels impossible to me, <laughs> is she takes an author who may or may not know much about their book idea or may not have tons of ideas fleshed out just for one day. You get in a room with her for one day and you leave at the end of the day with a full synopsis, chapter outlines, chapter titles, heading, the whole thing. Your book, all you got to do is just go in and start writing. It's amazing. Um, so that's super impressive to me. Uh, but I, I'm really excited about these gatherings. I'm excited that we kicked off our 2017 year with our winter gathering here in Nashville. I'm excited that we're going to be launching in some other cities this spring. So our spring gathering is going to be pretty cool because there's other local gatherings taking place in other cities around the world. Yes, we've heard um, you guys asking questions. Can we bring the gathering to you guys? And we are. Yeah. We're going to be sh showing up in St. Louis and Chicago and Denver and smaller cities like Chattanooga, yeah. maybe even LA, New York potentially. So if you're out there listening and you would think, man, I'd love to host one of those, really all you need is access to a great venue and the ability to gather other members of the creative community in your city. Um, even if you can't get some of the stuff that we work really hard to find, like amazing speakers and performers to do, you know, kind of creative presentations. We have the option starting in the spring to to basically stream our talks from Nashville or what other city, whatever other city we want to go stream the talk from. So all you need is a room and a group of people and maybe even just a screen to stream the talk on. And then yeah. you guys can do live Q&A with us wherever we're based at. Uh, via Twitter or something like that. So these local gatherings are growing. We're really excited about these. If you want to learn more, just go to storygatherings.com, click on local gatherings, and there's information about how you can learn more. There's also a form you can fill out to sign up if you want to have a conversation with us about what it might look like to host one of these. Yeah, they're so, a lot of fun. Yeah. So our winter gathering, we recorded uh, the live talk with Allie. That's what you're about to hear. And then we kept everyone around and we kept the mic rolling. And you hear a live Q&A. And the audience had some great questions. So yeah. this is another special episode of the podcast, the live talk, live Q&A, recorded at the Winter Gathering in Nashville with Allie Fallon. Enjoy. Please help me welcome once again, Allie Fallon. <laughs> Thanks so much, you guys. It really is such an honor to be here with you tonight. I read an article online this week. I don't know if maybe some of you saw this. It was going around Twitter and Instagram um, that said that last week, the third week in January, was, is the most depressing week of the year. Did anyone else read this article? No? Anyone else feel it? Because I felt it before I even read the article. I was like, praise Jesus. Thank you. There's a reason. You know, so, um, and the reason that the article said that the third week in January is the most depressing um, time of the year is because of this cross-section of it being the worst weather of the year, and then also it being the week that we drop our resolutions. So I'm like, oh, we don't even make it to February. <laughs> like, we're third week in January, we're like, done. No, we like, we're done with that already. And um, I just thought this was so interesting, because I'm, I'm actually curious how many of you in here 
our resolution people. I know it's kind of like a divide. Are you, raise your hand if you're a resolution person. I'm a huge resolution, resolution person, but I imagine it would be divided down the middle. It looks like it's about 50-50 or maybe a little bit less. Sometimes with artists, you get this idea like, you know, you don't want to, you want to set traditional goals. You want to like pick a word for the year, do something different. But each of us in here, right, we have this concept or this idea that at the beginning of the year, I want things this year to be different than they were last year. I want to, a change in direction, right? I want something this year to be different than it was last year. And like I said, I'm a huge resolutions person. This is like, you know, five years ago when everyone started talking about like picking a word for the year instead of doing resolutions, people would be like, what's your word for the year? And I'd be like, my word is marathon because I'm going to run one, <laughs> which the subtext of that for me was like, don't try to take away my um, perceived control over my life and the world, okay? I need that. That's like a security blanket for me. So I love resolutions, but, um, but the truth is really by the third week in January, we're pretty much kind of done with them, right? And the thing that's so fascinating about this for me, the thing that got me really curious, especially this past year, because something for me shifted this past year. 2016 was a heck of a year for me, and I know it was for a lot of pe other people too. And what happened in the second week of January this year is someone said to me, what is your resolution for 2017? And this friend happens to know that I love resolutions. And this was the first time I had ever said this in my life. But I said, you know what? I don't have one. I don't want to do it. I'm done. I'm tired. Like, I fought so hard. I fought so long. I gave all my energy. I gave all my effort to 2016. I did everything I knew how to do. I put all my chips on the table. And I came to the end of the year, and I had nothing that I had wanted. Am I the only one? <laughs> I was like, I'm done. I don't want to do a resolution for 2017. And the thing that's so fascinating about this to me is it is like, why do we keep doing this ritual? Why do we keep coming back to the beginning of every year and choosing a word or choosing a goal or choosing something that we want to change? I mean, this, the, the, the psychology of this is so fascinating to me. Like, we're doing it, and yet we get to the third week in January, and our resolutions are done. We're already done. And here's the reason I think we do this, and I think a lot of you in here, I'm imagining that you guys are uh, above the fold, right? Like you're advanced, because you're here tonight, you got your ticket, you came. Like you guys are people who are thinking about this, who are wrestling with this, who are asking yourselves these, these questions. And I think the reason that you're here tonight, and the reason that we keep setting resolutions, and the reason that we keep trying to do this thing, it has nothing to do with a New Year's resolution. It has nothing to do with setting a goal, or running a marathon, or getting a six-pack, or whatever. And it has everything to do with a couple of things. Number one, it has to do with breaking bad habits, right? Breaking the bad habits that are getting in between me and what I really want. Bad habits. Anyone in here have bad habits? Yeah. <laughs> Just me? Okay. Um, so breaking the bad habits that are getting between me and what I really want, right? So that's one thing. Another thing is stepping into our deep purpose. That's what this is about, setting a resolution. So it's admitting to ourselves, and I think all of you are, I would imagine all of you are here with me, that you think there's more to this life than just I'm born and like I do a couple things and then I'm done, peace out. You know, like there's a deep purpose I have for being here on this planet. How do I actualize that purpose? How can I step into that deep purpose? This is about entering into the fullness of the human experience, yes? Like I'm in my life with my whole heart. Like, I don't want to miss any of it. I just get this one shot at it, and I don't want to miss the chance to really be here in my life. This is about breaking through fear and anxiety and depression so that I can bring my unique gifts to the world so that not only do I not miss this life, but also so that you don't miss me, so that I don't miss you, so that you can bring the fullness of yourself. It's about giving birth to these creative ideas that live inside of us 
that exist right now only in your mind, in your heart, in your spirit, in your imagination, in your soul, that's the only place they exist right now. It's about finding the strength and the courage to give birth to these things. So that book that you've always wanted to write but you've never been able to write, the TV show that you have an idea to write that you've never been able to write, the play, the gathering you want to have, the adventure you want to go on, the conference you want to host, the family you want to start, the husband you want to have, the wife you want to have, whatever it is that you want to build, those things that you want to manifest in your life that you haven't been able to yet, this is about finding the courage and the strength to, to give birth to those things, yes? Yes, everybody's on the same page. Okay. So to me, this is the reason we're still having the conversation about New Year's resolutions. And what the heck is it that we can talk about that and we feel so passionate about it and it matters so much to us. This is the deep stuff of our souls. And yet we get to the third week in January and we're done. <laughs> like there's a disconnect here, yes? So this has me thinking. And I want to tell you a little bit about... Um, uh, my, so my, my resolution for 2016 was to do more hot yoga. I actually hadn't done any hot yoga at the, at the beginning of 2016, but I was, had been off the workout train completely, and I was like, okay, I'm going to get back in this thing, and there was a hot yoga studio right down the street from my house, so I was like, I am going to do this. I'm going to conquer this hot yoga. So I go down to the studio, and I sign up, and I you know, get all ready and sign up and everything, and I get to my first class, and I don't know if, if this is like, maybe this is just me. This is my personality when I start something new or when I set a resolution for myself, is I'm like all in in the beginning, right? I'm like 100%. I am going to kill it at this thing. Like, I'm going to be the best person who's ever walked into their first class of hot yoga ever, okay? I'm just going to conquer it. So I get there, and the woman at the desk is, like, asking me for all my information, and I'm, like, signing the medical release. I'm like, oh, dear, I don't know what this is for. And she says to me, your whole goal your first class is just to stay in the room. Because hot yoga is, you know, it's a, I don't know how familiar you are with hot yoga. It's like 100 plus degrees, 98 percent humidity, and then you're like exercising, like in a sauna. So you're sweating out everything. You know, I'm like just in, standing in a puddle of myself. So she's like, the whole goal of your first class is just to stay in the room. And I'm like, oh, you just wait and see. I'm going to be so amazing. You're going to be so impressed. Can't wait for this, you know? And I get in the room, and we're like 10 minutes into the class, and I'm feeling it. I'm really feeling it. You know, I'm like, she had said, you know, if you get dizzy, you can kind of kneel down on your mat. You can sit down on your mat. You can take small sips of water, but just try not to leave the room. So I'm like 10 minutes into the class, and I'm thinking like, whoo, I'm really, this is really intense, you know? She wasn't kidding. And I'm watching these people in the class, a few of the other girls in the class who I can tell are super advanced, and they're like doing handstands and headstands, like when none of us, not, nobody else in the class is doing that. And so I watch this girl do it, and I think like, wow, that's so amazing. Like she's, you know, I could do that. I'm like... I took gymnastics in the fourth grade for like six months. I mean, this is how hard could this be? Woo, right? Like, just kick up really hard. So I'm like, okay, I am going to go all in. I'm just going to, I'm going to do this thing. Like, I'm here. I might as well really go for it. So the next time we come around to the moment, I'm like, I, I have decided my strategy is just to like kick as hard as possible <laughs> because like, how can you go wrong, you know? So I, I do that. I just, and you can see where this is going, right? Like, I kick as hard as I can to get up. And I go up, and for a minute, I'm like, this is amazing, I'm flying, you know? And then I'm like, um, suddenly in a different part of the room than where I started. And I'm like flying across people's water bottles, and things are falling over. And then at the end of it all, I'm just like splayed out on two other people's mats that are not my own. And, and I'm, I'm just, you know, in a pool of my own sweat, and then also their sweat on their mats, and then also all the water from the water bottles. It was a nightmare. 
totally embarrassing and everybody's looking at me, right? But this is kind of the, the metaphor of, for me of like going all in. Like I'm not, I'm just gonna kick as hard as I can. Like I'm just gonna get myself up there. I'm gonna muscle myself through this thing. So after class, I'm talking to a friend of mine who happens to be a yoga instructor and I'm telling her the whole story of how this happens. And she said something to me that I thought was so profound and that I think has everything to do with yoga and also nothing to do with yoga. And she said, you know, yoga, you can do yoga without breathing, but if you do, you're not really doing yoga. You're doing something totally different. And what she meant by that is like, you can do all the moves right, right? Like you can get in there and be like, I am gonna do a handstand on my first try. I'm gonna do it. But if you're not breathing, if you're not staying connected to yourself, if you're not being honest, if it's not a true, honest practice, if you're not staying connected to your breath, to your soul, then you're not really doing yoga. And then the other half of what she said was so cool. She said, um, a lot of people will do the moves perfectly and it looks great on Instagram. And I just thought, you know, how often, um, how, this is what I thought, how good a life can look on Instagram and how terrible it can feel to be actually living it. How good a life can feel on Instagram and how terrible it can feel to be actually living it. And I think this is really what happens when we lose our breath, when we get out of touch with our soul's purpose. This, to me, is why so many of our resolutions fall to the wayside by the third week in January. It's not because we don't have the discipline to execute them. It's not. You have incredible discipline. You people in this room have incredible discipline. You are incredibly powerful people. It is because you are doing all the moves perfectly. You're doing so many good things. And because you've lost touch with your soul's purpose, you've lost touch with yourself. You have fallen out of line with your breathing. Several years ago, I was working a job that, I, that was a great job, paid me really well. Uh, it was in my area of expertise, it was in my field. I was very well trained for it, I was good at it. And on top of all of that, I was doing really good work in the world. I was teaching kids how to read. And I was miserable. <laughs> totally miserable. And I would drive myself to work every day and I would do this little pep talk with myself where I would say, you know, like, you can do this. <laughs> like, just, you know, you just have the things you have to tell yourself. Mostly I would tell myself, um, get a grip on yourself, Allie. Like, stop being so ungrateful. There are so many people in the world who are looking for jobs who don't have them and you have this job. There are people who would love to work a job that feels like it has a greater purpose than just showing up and punching a clock every day and you have that. You um, are getting paid great money. You can pay your bills. There are tons of people in the world who don't have that. Stop being so ungrateful. Stop being such a brat. Get over yourself. Go to work. And I would do this whole thing right every day. Go to work and I would get to work and I would do my day and I would drive home and I would sob because I felt like a terrible person, right? Because I'm just like, can't do this. So um, during this season of my life, I go to a wedding for a really good friend of mine. She's, uh, uh, I was 26 years old at the time, which is like ancient, right? Like she was the last of my friends to be getting married. I was just like, oh my gosh, what's happening? So she's getting married and I'm watching her walk down the aisle and you know, it's convenient because I'm like tears, just sort of like, you can pretend like you're crying tears for the bride when really you're like, <laughs> doing with my life so I'm crying watching this whole happen and it's just stirring all the stuff up in me like I'm just like I don't know what I'm doing with my life and so I'm at the reception and I'm talking to a friend and she's asking me what's going on and I'm just feeling all stirred up right and this is not a comfortable feeling but it's a really really good feeling because this is your soul talking to you 
In those moments when you're just feeling all stirred up, you're like, I'm so uncomfortable. I hate this. Yes, that's good. That's it. So she says to me, um, ask me, you know, what's going on, and I'm telling her what a terrible person I am because I have this great job and I can't be thankful for it. And she just asked me so matter-of-factly this question that I feel like shifted everything for me. She just said, you know, what would you do if you could do whatever you wanted? I was like, what? Excuse me? Yeah, what would you do if you could just like wake up tomorrow and do whatever you wanted? Like if you didn't have to worry about, you know, paying your bills and you didn't have to worry about what your parents were going to think and you didn't have to worry about this degree you have or paying off your school loans or if you could just wake up tomorrow and you just like, yeah, whatever you wanted. And I felt something sort of crazy happen in me in that moment. It was like this mixture of like frustration and sadness and grief and anger and fear. This is your soul talking to you. Yes, it's very uncomfortable when your souls begin to wake up. Because two things happen when you begin to come back into alignment with your soul. Number one is the first thing that happens is you realize you've been chasing a lot of stuff you do not care about. So much stuff. You've been working so hard to accomplish these things that you just don't care about. And then the second thing, the very terrifying thing that happens when you realize what your soul is asking you to do is the things that you care most about, you have no idea how to get. <laughs> You're just like, oh my gosh, okay, that's great. How am I going to do that? And that was really what, you know, what came to me in that moment when she asked me that question is what would you, could do, what would you do if you could do anything is I thought, you know, the thing that I have always wanted to do is write a book, always. I can remember the moment in fourth grade. My fourth grade teacher gave me an assignment to write a story. It was supposed to be one page front and back. I handed in nine pages front and back, and it was the most fun I had ever had. And at the end of that year, she handed me a composition notebook, and she said, Dear Allison, keep writing. You're very good at it. Okay, when we go back to who we were when we were very young, those are the moments when we find our souls most alive, most sparked, because we have not figured out yet how to cover it up. We've not learned yet to hide. So our souls are very present as, as a fourth grader, as a nine-year-old, right? Our souls are very, very alive. So um, yes, two things happen when, when our souls wake up. We're just like, it's just the most uncomfortable feeling, right? However, here's the thing that shifted for me. And this is really amazing because before anything in my actual life even changed, no circumstances changed. I'm still driving to the same job every day. Everything's exactly the same. But a few things shifted for me. Number one was my attitude. I did not have to talk myself into being grateful because the posture of your soul is gratitude. When you're back in line, alignment with your soul, it's just thank you. Thank you for the chance to be here in my life with my whole heart. I didn't have to try to get there. It was just thank you. So all the anxiety, all the depression, all that sort of yuckiness just melted away. And it's like my soul has permission to just shine. And the second thing that happened for me is I started to see things differently. When you come back into alignment with your soul, it's like putting on a pair of glasses and everything comes into laser focus. All the stuff that didn't matter before, it's just like you lose taste for it. You're like, why was I ever distracted by that thing? I started to see opportunities that I hadn't seen before, see, see doors that were opening for me that had always been there and I had just been missing them because I wasn't paying attention. My ears, I started to wake up. My ears, I started to hear things differently. So I would be standing in a circle of people and we would be complaining bitterly and comparing 
and judging people around us, and I would feel this sort of like, ugh, I don't like this. My soul is unhappy. This is the natural posture of our souls. We do not have to muster it up. It just comes very, very naturally. Um, I think the truth is most of you know this, you know? Yeah, I think most of you know it. And you, and you, you hear that spark of your soul. You feel that spark of your soul, that stirring I'm talking about, that unrest. And the thing is, is that so often in our lives when we feel that unrest, we take that as an opportunity to quit. Or we just turn our attention to something that's easier to get. It's so much easier, you guys, to, plan, to train for a marathon I'm telling you, it's so much easier. Or to like be like, I'm going to get a six-pack. I'm going to like go to the gym three times a week for 30 minutes each time, and I'm going to eat these foods, and I'm going to eat these foods. It's so much easier to do that than to really pay attention to what your soul is asking you to do. This is so much more complicated. And here's the really hard sell about it, is that of all those good things that happen, right? Like I talk about all the good things that happen when you come into contact with your soul. Here's the one thing that happens that is so good, but that does not always feel good, is that your life becomes a huge mess. <laughs> It doesn't look so good for Instagram anymore, you know? Like, it just doesn't. It becomes much more complicated and much more confusing and much more frustrating. And this is why, this is the beauty of us gathering here tonight and of us being here together, is that we have to stay close together. We have to remind each other to stay in it. We need each other. Jill and Kay are friends of mine. I was at their house when they wrote that song, that's my claim to fame. I, um, I stayed at their house for a couple of days because only in Nashville, right, like you Airbnb your house and go stay with friends and then they'd Airbnb and come stay with me. So I stayed with them for about a week and so many conversations in their home during that week where we would just go like, are you about ready to give up? You know, like how long have we been at this thing trying to give birth, right, to these creative ideas that are in our minds and hearts and souls and imaginations? How long have we been at this thing? Are you frustrated like I am? Are you depressed like I am? Are you feeling anxious like I am? Are you afraid like I am? Yes, yes, and we're gonna keep doing it anyway, right? So that's all. I don't really have anything else for you that, other than that tonight, just that encouragement that in the moments when you most wanna quit, third week in January, fourth week in January, fifth week in June, whatever it is, in the moments when you most wanna quit, don't quit. Just come close to each other. Keep coming back to this place. Keep talking to each other. Keep reminding each other how important it is that you do your great work in this world. So we want to spend the second half of our time together uh, just having a conversation with Allie. Um, uh, incredible things to say about setting goals. There's a lot of people here who know of her writing background um, and the fact that she does a lot of creative coaching for other authors. Um, for those of you who don't know, we just recorded her talk over here. Um, Zach and Josh have been in their hard way doing things that I don't understand how they do. Uh, recording things on computers and stuff. Um, but tonight has been recorded, story now has a podcast. Um, so you can, you can find it pretty easily just by going to iTunes or whatever podcast listener you have and typing in story podcast. That's it. Don't put a the in there or anything like that. Just type in story podcast. And so we're going to spend the second part of our time together just doing a quick little Q&A um, so that we can record this. This will actually be our first live podcast interview recording, which is kind of cool. Awesome. So I'm excited about that. Um, so I have my own questions for Allie, but I want to start with you guys. Um, and instead of just boarding out your question, raise your hand. Since we are recording, I'm going to try to run a mic to you really quick. So um, any questions right away before I jump in and get the conversation started? Because after we start talking, you guys can continue to think of questions. Anyone? Yes. I didn't know when to 
How do you know when to pursue an idea? And how do you get past creative barriers? How do you know when to pursue an idea? How do you get mm -hmm. past creative barriers? You know when to pursue an idea. You know when to pursue an idea. It's when you can't sleep at night because you can't stop thinking about it. And you, it's the first thing on your mind when you wake up in the morning. And it's stirring inside of you. And you, just, you try to shut it down. And it won't shut down. You know, your soul will not shut up. This is the beautiful thing about it. And the horrible thing about it, it will not stop. So um, when it does that, that's when you know you've really got something. And, you know, it's like your, your soul has its own agenda, right? Like you just, it's, you, you sort of can't not do it. That's when you know to do it is when you can't not do it. And getting past creative blockages really is a blockage. All a blockage is is just, it's a blockage of energy, right? So any time that there's a blockage, it's just finding a way to get that energy to flow again. So sometimes it's just about movement. I mean, the simplest things can clear up a creative blockage, like going for a walk or um, going to a different city that you've never been to. Or, um, I mean, there's a great book too by Julia Cameron called The Artist's Way that is, has been one of the most profound. She gives lots of different tactics you can use. It's been one of the most profound books for me in terms of overcoming creative blockages. But she gives a practice called Artists, or Morning Pages, sorry, that you wake up every morning and write the first things that are on your mind. Um, there's a lot of brain science behind this too, which I could get into. It's too long probably to get into, but, uh, over, so waking up your limbic brain, which is your, your artist brain, it's your animal brain, it's the more primal part of your brain. You're, we operate mostly out hold, of our... Hold on, we have a part of our brain that's called the animal brain? Well, I, I don't know that it's like scientifically called the animal brain, but it is <laughs> it's like, like your... This is awesome. It's like your gorilla brain, you know? Like, yeah. So we, we spend most of our time operating out of our prefrontal cortex, which is you yeah. know, logical, analytical. This is what gets you to meetings on time. It's what you, helps you pay your bills. It's like, you know, we have to live in that space most of our lives in you know, the modern Western world. Um, but when you dream, that's your limbic brain at work. So part of why Julia Cameron will have you wake up first thing in the morning and record your first thoughts of the day before you even get out of bed or drink any coffee is because it's engaging that limbic brain. It's teaching you what it feels like to live in that limbic brain. Wow, okay. start doing that thing it's been several months and it's like the, Jan the third week of January is that situation where you're like well I don't know if I'm actually that interested in this anymore even though I knew that at that time I was jazzed right what do you do then so basically what do you do when you get bored so I would have more questions about what it was that made you lose interest did you lose interest because you I'm reading between the lines, but I would imagine that there's a possibility you lost interest because you're afraid. Or did you lose interest because you're really, you're really bored of what you're doing? Maybe more a sense of, there's so many things that can be done, so why am I doing this one? Mm -hmm. Stephen Pressfield would call that resistance. It's fear, it's all fear. There's so much fear in creativity because, you, you know, and the fear is I'm going to finish this thing and it's going to suck, right? <laughs> and here is the hard truth is you might finish the thing and the thing might suck. And then you're going to make another one and the next one's going to suck a little less and the next one's going to suck a little less and eventually you might make something that's really going to have, you know, a, a wider reach. 
But the point, I mean, I think that this is the thing we have to get over, is that the point was never for the thing to have a wide reach anyway. The point is, the only way to change the world is by changing ourselves. If by some miracle we can change ourselves, that ripple effect is so profound that we will not be able to stop it. And, and so, much, so many of us are so focused, and me included, we get so focused on what's happening out here. And this is New Year's resolutions, right? Like, we want to, like, we want to, like, um, get the things to happen out here. We want to, like, make more money. We want to have a really six-pack abs. We want to, like, get a nice car. We want you know, it's all these things out here, and we're all missing the point about what's happening inside of us, which is why I think artist work and artist work is so important because art is the work of the soul. There's just no getting around it. You can't do art without connecting to your, not good art anyway. Do you have any morning routines or rituals or just things you do to get into alignment to bring your best self to your creative work? Yeah, so my, my morning routine is to do morning pages. So morning, the practice of morning pages is when you wake up before you do anything else, you spend the first you know, 20 to 40 minutes of your day writing the first thoughts that are on your mind. So this is not publishable material. This is like, this is terrible, right? Like you're, the first thoughts are on your mind. So if you were dreaming, sometimes I'll write down what I was dreaming. Or sometimes it's like, I'm tired, I'm tired, I'm so tired. This is horrible. Why am I doing this? This is dumb. You know, like, but whatever it is, this is, and we talked about clearing up creative blockages. That is the act of clearing up creative blockages because it's like, you just got to get the junk out. Like you just got to keep things in motion in order to get to the good stuff. So the way I describe it to clients that I work with is, you know, if you're going to get on a plane and go on a vacation to Europe, you're going to take tons and tons of pictures in Europe and you're going to tell all your friends about all the beautiful things you saw, you are not going to talk about what you ate on the plane, nor are you going to take any pictures of it. It's just not the most sexy part of the trip, but you still have to get on the plane if you're ever going to get there, and that's morning pages. So that's what I do first thing in the morning, um, and when I'm in a really good routine, I mean, it's truly before I get out of bed, it's before I do any coffee or anything like that. And another thing that I have done for myself as a creative person and, you know, and I consider myself to be a pretty sensitive creative person, is um, I have to be really gentle with myself around all of the input that we get in a day. There have to be protected spaces of your day where you don't have that kind of input. So first thing in the morning for me, for the first two hours, I do not do email, I do not do text messaging, I do not do Twitter, I am not on Instagram. I'm just like, there cannot be any input. That's just a protected part of my day for me. So... Like, when someone, a friend of mine found out that you were speaking at this gathering this week, um, <clears throat> I don't want to name names, but this person, they love you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> uh, and they said, oh my gosh, Allie is speaking. She, it was a published book, and this person, I guess somehow, they hired you to come in and work with them for a day. Okay. And at the beginning of the day, it was a thing, actually, one of the things you told me about on the phone, the first talk that you do. Um, and this person basically, like, I just feel like there's a story that I have to tell. I want to write a book, and this is the idea of the book, but mm -hmm. I'm just struggling. And you basically spent one single day with this person, and they left with, like, the whole book figured out. Chapter titles and summaries? Chapters, yeah. titles, and summaries, yeah. yeah. How, how is it that you do that in a day? And is, does it, is there any connection between that process and some of the stuff you're talking about right now? Response to these questions. What is, what is step one, I guess, yeah. well, while we're talking about what you're doing first thing in the morning? The hardest part about writing a book is organizing it, really. It's not, you know, people, most people, I've worked with dozens of creatives over the years, writers mostly, and of all those dozens of people, and I, I could almost say 100, but I don't want to exaggerate, but it's probably, I mean, a lot. And one person has come to me and I've thought, you don't have enough content to write a book. Most people have plenty of content. 
You know, most people who are like, they want to write a book, you're not lacking in things to say, but you're, you just have to figure out how to organize it. And so um, all I do is I just ask, is I'm just like pulling stuff out of them, right? Like I'm just getting the creative energy, like I'm getting movement happening. And once that happens, they just start putting all their stuff on the table and it's like dumping a purse out, you know, and it's all on the table. And then we can start categorizing things and order, organizing them. So that's all I really do. So, and here's the beauty of that is I get to live in my prefrontal cortex while they live in their limbic brain. And so it's like, you know, I just get to play the other half of their brain for them. Because what will happen is, this is what happens with the, those two parts of our brain is they argue with each other. So this is like, if you bump into someone that you don't want to see, in public, like you bump into like an ex or something, and your, your prefrontal cortex is going like, play it cool, don't say, don't say anything dumb. And then your limbic brain is going like, run, get the heck out of here. You know, so they will argue with each other, but you need both in order to do creative work. I mean, your, your prefrontal cortex is your editing brain. This is like, you know, it's how you or organize and categorize things. You can't do it without both, but I think that's the beauty of that relationship as I get to be so one. what is it that's keeping them from being able to gauge both parts of the brain at the same time then? Like, I think it's just, I actually think that they're not meant to be engaged at the same time. I, they will argue with each other. It's like your fight or flight response versus this very logical, rational part of you that's like, you know, you're fine. And then the other part of you is like, you're not fine. So... I don't know. I mean, I'm not a brain scientist. <laughs> I would have to do yeah. more research. So it sounds like, but so you're describing it all as brain and neuroscience kind of stuff. A lot of people might refer to this as a creative process. Like, what's your creative process? How do you write a book? And you're basically saying, I play one part of the brain while the other person gets to play the other part of the brain. Is that accurate? Well, yeah. Or, I mean, I mean I've written plenty of outlines to books by myself. It's not impossible to do it by yourself. It's just, I think that's why it happens so quickly in a day is because I can play one while they play the other. But truly, I mean, um, it, you know, I'll say to writers a lot of times, one of the mantras I give is right now, edit later. So that just means like live in your limbic brain now and live in your prefrontal cortex later. So like just be, be creative, be poetic. Don't, when you first sit down to write, your, your poetic, the poetic part of you doesn't need things to make perfect linear sense. sense. It's connecting images that are disconnected. And then later you can go back and try to make sense of it and try to have perfect grammar. And, but you know, like I worked with, um, I've worked with a lot of public speakers who wanna write books and their gift is speaking, communication, which is the same as writing, but it's different. So they, they really could, you know, command a stage, gotcha. they can speak in front of tons of people, but then they sit down to the computer and they freeze up. So they're like, and I'm, this one girl who I work with, she's like 21 years old and she's just a like, phenomenon in my mind. I mean, she can get up in front of 10,000 people and just command an audience. She's got such a great personality. And then she's trying to write this book and she would sit down at her computer and just literally could not even get a word on the page. And so finally I take the computer from her and I'm like, okay, just talk to me. So she starts talking to me and I'm just typing literally exactly what she's saying. And that was the disconnect for her. She was like, oh, you can just type what you say? And I'm like, yeah, that's it. Like, that's what good editors are for. You know, they'll go through later and clean up the grammar. She was like, I just felt like it needed to be perfect and I can't end a sentence with a preposition. And I'm like, I mean, that's all for later. So I don't know if that answers the question. Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah, it does in a way. Uh, so my next question is, so you spend that day with somebody. Mm -hmm. They leave with chapters, headlines, summaries. Is that what you said? Yeah. So they leave with all this stuff and they're like, sweet, the book's practically done. I just got to go write and fill in the blanks, right? I'm assuming some of those people never finish their books. Why <laughs> is that? 
Resistance? I mean, so it's yeah, it's fear. It's all fear. And I mean, I really think it boils down. I, I, maybe it's more complicated than that, but to me, it seems pretty simple that we're just scared like it's not going to be good. And Ira Glass, there's this great video on YouTube. You could, you could Google it. Um, he talks about how this is the bridge that we have to cross as creatives, right? That we, our taste is so good. We have great taste. If you want to write a TV show, you are a person who has watched hundreds of TV shows and you've got great taste in TV shows and you know what a good TV show is like. And then when you sit down to write yours, you can't quite execute it that well. And so you recognize that your work is not as good as you want it to be. And that's the frustration of a creative is that we're constantly having to kind of like recognize that there's this gap between where I am and where I'm trying to go. And we have to have the fortitude to keep on making art that isn't it doesn't reach our standards of what great art is. And then eventually we get there. Oh, so good. Questions? Yep. So what if you're you know, the type of person that has a lot of different ideas, but you don't know which one to choose to start on? Hmm. <laughs> I wish I had a better answer. That's, Stephen Pressfield would say that's all resistance too. I mean, the fact that you don't want to choose one is, is it's all from that same fear of like, none of these are going to be good enough or, you know, like I'll work on this one and it's going to waste time because if this one would have really been the one that would have, you know, I would say work on the one that won't let you, won't leave you alone, you know, work on the one that wakes you up in the middle of the night. Um, yeah, that one that you lay awake at night thinking about, you can't, you can't stop thinking about it. And just, and I would pick one and I would finish it. Just ship it, you know? Like, just get all the way to the end. Don't get halfway and be like, oh, no, I realize this isn't actually the one I wanted. I wanted to do that other one. Just finish it for the sake of finishing it. Even if nobody ever sees it or reads it or looks at it or whatever, even if it's not, like, you know, a masterpiece, just finish it for the sake of just saying, like, I did that. I finished it. Yeah. Um, what did the transition between, like, the real steady normal job look like into I'm definitely doing this. Yeah, lots of eating at my parents' house. I don't know. Um, uh, for real though, no, it was it was. Um, so I had the idea to write a book in 2010. Quit my full-time job in June of 2010 and spent a year. Sold all my physical possessions, packed anything I could fit into my Subaru Outback, and drove. Spent a year driving across the country, and then I wrote a book called Packing Light. So that's actually what it looks like. But I mean, the, here's the thing is that, that nobody really wants to talk about is that it takes an incredible sacrifice and the sacrifice doesn't always look the same. Like I don't think everybody has to sell their physical, physical possessions. That's not a prescriptive thing, but it takes an incredible sacrifice to do the great work that you all are already doing. You all are already doing it and it takes an amazing sacrifice. And I mean, I talk about like the work that wakes you up in the middle of the night, that gets you up in the morning. Like this is, you are going to lose sleep over this if you really choose to do this life. But it's very, very important work. I mean, this is not, it's, it's, if the only person who ever reads the book you write or sees the painting you paint is you, if it transforms you from the inside out, the ripple effect will be so enormous, you will not be able to stop it, I promise you. It is very, very important work, but it will make you lose sleep at night. And you will, you'll lose money, you'll lose, you know, you may not get to drive as nice of a car, you may, you know, not have this, the steady paycheck coming in every couple of weeks. It's not, it's not the easy life, it's not for the faint of heart, but it is a very alive life. It's very alive. 
I mean, I, I wouldn't trade it for the world. And, you, and I want to emphasize that y'all are already doing this. Like, even if you're working a nine-to-five job, you're, you wouldn't be here tonight if you weren't already doing this. It's already happening. You're already making great sacrifices for your art. Any other questions? Cool. I love, I love what you said, the, the answer to the very first question. Um, you said, because you can't not do it. And I think we kind of finished on that same theme. Um, and I, I instantly smiled when you said that, because I had a flashback to the conference. I remember, uh, so our conference is on a Thursday, Friday. Wednesday night at like 1 a.m. in the morning. Um, for those of you who were there, remember up in the lobby, we built all those little tree houses and there was like firewood sculptures and stuff like that. Uh, we were trying to create that other world that we were kept trying to invite everyone to. Um, and like for like two weeks, I had like scrapes all up and down my <laughs> forearms because um, we all just were trucking it up this freight elevator up four or five stories at the Hall of Fame trying to get it all up there and built out. Um, and Kellen and I were two of the last people to go home that night. And I remember texting with Seth, my producer for the conference, and uh, he was like, I was like, we just left eating, we're headed back, all the production guys were headed back to the hotel to crash. He's like, are you still at the venue? I was like, yeah, we're trying to light the firewood, not on fire, but like light it with certain lights and stuff. And, um, <clears throat> I remember texting him, I was like, why are we doing this again? I was just so exhausted. <laughs> exhausted. And he literally, the only thing he texted me back is, because we can't not I do it. I love it. Um, and I remember standing on stage the next morning, uh, you know, looking at people, like so many people were coming to the theater and you could peek through the curtain and they were just like, wow, this is awesome, I'm so excited. And they were so enthusiastic to be there. And I was like, this is why we're doing this stuff. We do it all because we can't not do it. Mm -hmm. um, and it has kept me up late at night. Um, story personally cost me money. Like I don't yeah. make any money off the of story. So we lose money, we lose sleep, we, um, but we can't not do it because yeah. it's what we were wired and created to do. Um, and so that's really exciting, the fact that you guys would take the time to be here because I think she's right. You're already, you're already doing it. The fact that you're even here, even if you're like, yeah, but everybody else in the room, they're the ones that are already creating and doing stuff. I'm kind of a newbie. I'm just here kind of exploring. I haven't really quit my job yet or anything crazy like that. But you're like, you're here tonight. Um, and that means it's already, it's already something's resonating about yeah. that life. So, um, man, thank you for sharing with us. Can you guys help me thank Allie again? <laughs> Thanks for being here. Really I'm so glad we discovered Allie. She is incredible. So great. And what's interesting is we started this podcast episode briefly talking about feedback and people sending us names. That's actually how we discovered Allie. A member of the Story family here in Nashville said, hey, are you aware of how awesome Allie Fallon is? And we were like, we need to be. And <laughs> they discovered her and we're like, hey, she's perfect for our winter gathering here in Nashville. So we reached out to her. Um, so glad that she joined us because that was incredible. I loved getting to talk to the audience in the room right after the talk because they were so inspired and it was like Allie had pressed all the right buttons yeah. to really inspire them to like take on 2017. So it was totally. just really fun. Yeah, it was a great way to kickstart the new year, which is, you know, partly why we had her at our winter gathering, knowing it was going to fall in January, knowing she could talk about this idea of resolutions and why we wanted to hurry up and get this episode live as soon as possible, because we feel like it's still super relevant. Um, one of the highlights for me, I think, was... She was talking a little bit about how, how do you know which idea to pursue? And she has said a lot of good things and that I don't want to dig into that too much because we got into that last week as well with Lori about how Lori said, you have to start with the idea that is keeping you up at night that you think about when you wake mm -hmm. up in the morning. 
and the one that you're willing to work on for seven years, that was crazy. Such so a I, long time. I think Allie had a lot of good stuff to say too about how do you know which idea to pursue first. Right. Um, but after that, she got into her morning routine, um, which I think for me is the one of the greatest challenges. I have a tendency to work late at night. I can go to bed a lot sooner now that I have kids, but you know, sometimes I go to bed so late if I'm up trying to catch up on work that sometimes I don't even wake up in the morning until my kids wake up. Which, what time is that? Um, somewhere between 8 and 8.30 sometimes, um, unless I have to be up early for a breakfast meeting. But if I don't set an alarm, my alarm is my kids. And once my kids wake up, next thing you know, I'm starting the day, and it's just immediate chaos. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if that doesn't happen, I do what Allie talked about, uh, that a lot of people do. I roll over and reach for my phone, and you check social media, which just is not a great start to your creative day. Right, and I think a lot of us are guilty of that. I know I have been in the past, but I've been deleting you, a lot. Yeah, yeah, I'm proud of you. You deleted, uh, what did you delete? I deleted Facebook and Snapchat. Both of them? Yeah. Oh, I'm so proud of you. I've deleted those from my phone a long time ago, and it's like changed everything. Um, but even though I deleted those from my phone, I have not like replaced the habit with something positive, like creative writing or the artist pages that everyone keeps referencing. I've got to, I need to go through this Julia Cameron, the Artist Way book that everyone keeps talking about. Uh, morning pages. That's what they're called. Yes. I keep hearing about these um, and everyone loves them. So we got to do that. But I love that she starts her day, not with Instagram or Twitter, but with writing. Before her coffee. (laughs) Before coffee. She's so disciplined, you guys. (laughs) I'm not a coffee drinker. I don't drink coffee. Uh, So I don't think that's my problem. My problem is I just need to get better at being creative instead of just responding to like the first task. My Mm -hmm. first task needs to be to be creative. I love that too, because then you don't have any voices speaking into what you're doing. Exactly. So. Yeah. Well, follow along with Allie. You can get in touch with her on socials. Uh, on Instagram, she's just Allie Fallon, A-L-L-Y-F-A-L-L-O-N. On Twitter, she is Miss Allie Fallon. That's M-I-S-S. So Allie Fallon on Instagram, Miss Allie Fallon on Twitter. Her website is allisonfallon.com. Allison is A-L-L-I-S-O-N. And then again, F-A-L-L-O-N.com. So reach out to her. Give her a quick little social media shout out. Let her know that you listened to her episode on this show, on the Story Podcast. Um, and ask her some follow-up questions if you have any. She's great. Loves to respond to those. Her blog's awesome, too. It's so, incredible. Thank you guys so much for tuning in and listening this week. Send us your feedback. Kellen, I hope we get yes, some emails. We want to hear from you. And we have a special episode coming up next week. I know. I can't wait to share Love it with stories. you guys next week. It's going to be cool. We'll talk to you next week. It's going to be great.